So I did, uh, I did save one more announcement for myself to share with you that is also at velocitychurch.info, but men, we've got a men's retreat coming up May 19th through 20th in Washington, North, North Carolina, Washington, North Carolina, on the Roanoke River. Would love for you to join us for that. So just Friday, uh, Friday night and Saturday, be a great time together. Some of you that have been there before, I know Mike's back there. He's like, I will stand in the lobby and I will tell you how amazing it is. So, and some of you are like, I don't know who Mike is. It's okay. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. He'll tell you and let you know how amazing that is. So I just want to want you to consider putting that on your calendar and checking that out. And the Moments of Hope thing, I, I just want to say how much I appreciate how we've been doing this consistently for a few different reasons, for a couple of different reasons, really. One, Scripture constantly throughout the Bible, God is, is telling us, hey, we need to, we need to serve the poor. You, you need to keep that in mind. You need to serve other people who are not uh, in a position that you are in, and you need to use what God has blessed you with to, to serve. And so I'm glad that we model that as a church. I think it's a great thing. The other thing is that just as as we participate in that, and there's so many different ways that people participate, whether you're coming in and packing meals or if you're supporting, you're bringing in food and bags and all that kind of stuff that, that we do that. If you're going serving physically, I mean, there's so many different ways that we participate in, in doing that, is that as we do that, we draw closer to Jesus. And the closer we are to Jesus, the more we are able to point to him in our lives to other people. Um, so there are really important things that, that happen and, and come, along, uh, come alongside of that. I don't always feel close to Jesus, though. Um, and, and that's why doing those kinds of things are, are really important. Hopefully that's okay for me to share with you this morning, is that there are times that, it's not all the time, but sometimes I just don't feel close to God, not the way that I would like to. And I know that I'm in good company, because I know more than, all, more than some of us can relate to that, if not every single person in, in this room. And sometimes I don't feel close to Jesus, or sometimes I feel distant from God, just because my expectations aren't being met. And you guys know what expectations are like. I mean, we have certain set of assumptions that we have for, for God or for other people, for example, and when they don't meet those expectations, we, we, think, uh, we think differently of them. The older I get, the more my expectations are met, the more I become grumpy. Um, I, I like to, I, I've been the get off my lawn guy for a long time already. But one of the things, one of the expectations that I have, and this is really because of, I've grown up in the South, right? This is just Southern hospitality. But people should say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. Can I get, no? Okay, I saw like three people shake their head, head yes, but not a whole lot of excitement there. So I know we got some Northerners, it's, it's, it's cool. So we were, we were at the, <laughs> uh, love, love our Northerners. Um, my son and I were at the Orthodontist the other day, and he was sitting there, and the orthodontist was checking his teeth. He's, he's getting metal put in his mouth and that kind of thing. So good times. And in the midst of that, the, the orthodontist asked him a question, and my son responded, yes, sir, you know, because he had a mouthful of, full of stuff. And the orthodontist just kind of stopped. He said, whoa. I mean, he, he actually said that audibly. He said, whoa, that's, that's weird. That's, that's not usual. And I'm kind of like, what, what's going on? Something wrong with his teeth or his mouth? What, what's happening? You don't hear kids say that. These days, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. So I don't know that he's ever had a kid tell him when they're in in the orthodontist chair, yes sir, or something like that. He says, "So you in the military?" And I said, "Well, I fight spiritual battles all the time." I'm just, I did not. I'm just kidding. I did not Jesus juke the orthodontist. That that is not that not what happened. But I just I just said he he, you know because I think his experience was he he had a dad he he was in the military had that very strong expectation that this you know respect that kind of thing, and I just said hey man for me it's just 
you know, just decency, you know, just Southern hospitality. I guess you could chalk it up, chalk it up to that if you're, if you're not used to it. But I told them, I mean, I, I tell my kids, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, just because it's something that, that we're trying to model as, as parents for them. And just, this is just how we treat people, you know, on the outset. I mean, if they're a jerk, fine. Don't tell them yes, sir, later, later on down the road. But at least at the very beginning, this, I don't know, it's just kind of an expectation that I have, an assumption that I make, and how we're supposed to treat one another. Now, the older I get, the less and less that's happened because our society has become more and more selfish. But that's a whole other sermon. Like, we won't, we won't get into that. But sometimes our expectations aren't met. And the set of assumptions that we have um, are, are maybe, maybe not all that fair. And, and sometimes that's true when it comes to our spouse. Sometimes it's true when it comes to our kids, our friends, our coworkers, that kind of thing. Sometimes that's true when it comes to our relationship with God. The set of assumptions that we make about God, the ex- expectations that we have, they, they might not be what they should be. And when that happens, when our expectations aren't met, uh, there are a couple things that, that come, come about in our life. Sometimes we're disappointed, sometimes we uh, despair, sometimes we're depressed, and sometimes we doubt. But in some of the unexpected twists and turns we face in life that cause those things in our life, in such a way that we wonder if God is still engaged in our lives the way that we thought he was in the beginning, if we press through those things, and if we trust God in, in those moments, on the other side of that disappointment and on the other side of that despair and depression and doubt, God has something even better for us than we thought from the beginning. Um, This is something that affects us, even if you can't think of an immediate example right now in your life, our expectations not being met uh, is something that faces us regularly. I mean, as we get together and we have small groups and we have prayer requests and we get together, I mean, a lot of times the list that we give, the things that we bring up in those moments are, are things, hopes that we have, expectations, assumptions that we want to have met in those moments. And so when they don't come about in the way that we want them to, what do we do with that and how do we, how do we respond? Sometimes we just question and we say, God, is this really how you want things to go? Or God, are you going to do anything about this? Or God, I just don't get it. I would love an explanation. And sometimes the doubt that creeps in as a result makes us wonder if God has just kind of left us, hung, hung out to dry. The thing that I would ask you to do, though, is don't assume that your doubt in that moment is well-grounded. Our expectations of God don't always produce correct assumptions about God. And so in this, mor- this morning, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 11, if you have your Bibles with you this morning. would love for you to turn there. We're going to be looking in the first several verses, starting with verse 1. And we come ag- across this great example between interaction between Jesus and John the baptizer. John the baptizer is preaching out in the wilderness. His message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. And John is Jesus' cousin. Who, who knows that the Messiah is coming and his responsibility is to get people prepped for that. And he was incredibly popular with the people, with the common people, because his message of repentance was for everyone, especially for the religious elite who were not as excited about John as everybody else was. And so he's out in the wilderness, out at the Jordan River, baptizing people, and people were coming and confessing their sins and repenting and, and transforming their lives to get ready for Jesus. You wouldn't have a hard time figuring out who John was in a crowd. He was very different in how he lived. His clothes were made out of camel's hair, which wasn't typical even for that time. He ate locusts, grasshoppers, and wild honey. That was, that was his diet, so kind of an interesting guy. And he was completely and utterly devoted to a singular task, driven to accomplish one thing, and that was to prepare everyone for the coming of Jesus. 
When Jesus did start his ministry, he came to his cousin John and was baptized to be an example to us all. And from that moment on, John pointed everyone to him. John had accrued a massive following. He had disciples of his own, and yet still he constantly pointed people to Jesus. Later on in John's life, he's arrested by the ruler of the area, Herod Antipas. And he's arrested because John had spoken out against sin, and he had a message of repentance. And um, Herod and his then now wife, who wasn't his wife before, I won't get into all the gory details, Herodias, they didn't like the fact that John was preaching against sexual immorality and that he, wasn't pre- and that he was preaching against their lust for power. And so they end up making him a political prisoner and throwing John into the dungeon. And when we get to Matthew chapter 11, John has been in this dungeon in solitary confinement by himself, separated from everyone else, separated from his calling, really, that he expected God to have him in in that moment. And he has a question for Jesus in Matthew chapter 11. So we pick up John. He's been in in the dungeon for nine to ten months at this point, almost a year in solitary confinement. And in Matthew chapter 11, here's, here's what happens. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Uh, Jesus, at this point in his life and ministry, was not meeting John's expectations. Jesus was living, living his life and his interactions with people differently than John had been approaching things. So in this moment, John in the dungeon for nine, ten months, almost a year in solitary confinement, has gone through disappointment, despair, depression, and doubt. And so in the middle of that, he sends somebody to ask Jesus, hey, are you, are you sure you are who you think you are? Because it's at this moment that John is think, thinking, have I wasted my entire life? Have I pointed everyone to the wrong person? And so he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news are proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever, Whoever has ears, let them hear. Luke, in Luke chapter 7, gives us a little bit more detail. John the Baptist, you know, looked at Jesus' life, who he's interacting with. Jesus was interacting with sinners. He was going over to people's houses and eating with them. He had people like tax collectors and prostitutes and all these other kind of people that were hanging around him. Uh, Jesus was turning water into wine at weddings. I mean, this is John's like, no, I'm out in the desert and I'm wearing camel hair and eating locusts and honey. You know, I'm, I'm real serious about my faith. He's looking at Jesus and saying, I don't know if he's as serious 
because of the people that he's hanging out with. John's keeping him separate from these sinners a, a little bit and said, hey, you, you got to repent, you got to change. And Jesus is interacting and being a part of, of their lives. And John, in, in Luke chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, Jesus kind of calls out this contrast. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton. Here's a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus' life looked a lot different from John's. John's expectations were not being met, and he's left wondering in a cell, knowing that in Isaiah chapter 61, that the description of what the Messiah was going to do, one of those things is he's going to set the prisoners free. And John is like, I'm, I'm, I'm not free. <laughs> I'm stuck in the cell. And to be honest, John at this point, he knows what the end is going to be. He, he knows that if he's not out of the cell at this point in his life, chances are he's never going to make it out of it. And if he does, it's going to be to go to his execution. And later he would be beheaded as a favor of, of, as a favor from Herod to his stepdaughter and wife. And so John asked the question that even if we haven't articulated it in this way, many of us have wondered or we have thought of, of this, when life isn't going the way I expect, can I trust God? And when it comes to moment of doubt, especially the disappointment, despair, and depression that leads to doubt, when it comes, comes to doubt, this is where the rubber meets the road in moving from Jesus being just a good idea on paper to him being a real person in which we can place our hope and trust. Especially when what we have on paper for life doesn't match up with what's happening. But what John does, despite this being the case, and this is something that we don't all do very well, but this is a good example that John gives us, is that he doubts his doubt and he goes directly to Jesus with his question. I'm just going to say now, and this I'm speaking for, for myself as well, there are way too many times that we assume that our doubts are legitimate, that, that they actually make sense, and that our expectations that kind of lead to those moments of doubt are, were actually reasonable to, to begin with. And John is a great example here because we know that he's wondering, oh, have, have I wasted my life here? Jesus, are you, are you really the guy? Are you, are you the guy? Because I'm not quite sure that, that you are. As he still goes and he still asks and he still wonders, hey, well, maybe, maybe, I'm not, maybe I'm not assuming the right things. And so there are a couple of ways in which Jesus honors this question from, from John. He doesn't just say, hey, you moron, you know, get, get over it. You know, of, of, course, of course it's me. There are a couple of different ways that Jesus honors John's questions and his doubt in this moment. And those are the things that I want to draw out of the text this morning for us today. The first thing is this, is Jesus says, pay attention to the evidence. For, for us, it's pay attention to the evidence of Jesus. John's, Jesus tells John's disciples to report back, and he, he doesn't just say, uh, think about all the good things that I've taught. He says, think about the things that I've done and that have been accomplished since I've been here. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 5 and 6, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I mean, these are the things that were infuriating the religious elite because people saw these things happening, they were believing them, and they were sharing them with other people. And Jesus says, just, just look at the evidence, look at the transformation, look at the life change that is happening as a result. And we could say the same thing today as we look at how we end up here right now in this moment is that over the course of human history, there's nothing that has changed human life the way that Jesus showing up in history and changing everything has been. I, there, there's no other comparable example of that in our life. 
And we can look at people in us, even if we don't feel like that transformation is happening the way that we want to in our life, we can look at other people who have been changed, who have lived like Jesus, and we can say, man, look, look how God continues to show up in these moments. God is consistent and unfailing, and the only reason it seems as though what he's up to is unclear is because of our limited perspective and difficulty in seeing past our own assumptions about what our expectations of God should be. And so Jesus tells John, hey, he, he recognizes, he knows where John is, he knows what he's about to say, what, what he's about to face, and he says, look past your own immediate circumstance and look at the evidence, look at the pattern of life change and interaction that I've had with all of these people around me. Look at the good news about the kingdom proclaimed. And he assures them that he's reading and thinking about Isaiah chapter 61 and Isaiah chapter 35 and the constant descriptions of the Messiah and what the Messiah is going to be. He's like, hey, these things are happening. Doubt is difficult, sometimes dark, and sometimes it seems to cause damage to our faith. But that's just because we have a bad relationship with doubt because we take it too seriously, and we think it's too reasonable. Doubt isn't a destination, however. It's just a step along the way for us to move through. Listen, I, there, have, there have been times where I have not wanted to come to church. Um, there have, some, of you, some of you know about this because I've shared some of these details a little bit more in, in depth in, in a sermon before. Uh, there have been times where um, I... I I, I never wanted to be a preacher, by the way. <laughs> um, and here I am, you know, uh, surprise. Um, God, you have met my expectations, not. Um, but he's, he's exceeded all the assumptions that I've ever made from him when I push through those moments of doubt. Because in those moments of, of suffering, um, in those moments of questioning, when, when we don't stay there, when we don't only focus on that, but when we focus on the pattern of behavior and interaction that God has had in our lives, we, a, a different type of picture emerges than just the one our doubt paints for us. There's no honest doubt without moving through the suffering and studying and ask questions along the way. It can feel like doubt is the destination sometimes, but it's definitely not, and there's definitely somewhere else that our doubt can lead to. The easiest thing to do, the laziest thing to do, is drift along and let it take you where it will, just like any other mood or unplanned emotion. But God doesn't call us to an emotionally driven faith. In James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, by the way, James is a half-brother of Jesus who doubted him at the beginning. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And listen, the, the point here is to never have questions. That, the, the point is not to never have questions. The point is to never have doubts creep up. That, that's going to happen in a world that's broken by sin, where life doesn't always meet our expectations. The point is what we do with that. And James says, hey, may, maybe don't focus so much on your doubt, but focus on the things that make your faith reasonable, the, the things that you've seen God provide for in your life. John doubts his doubt and confirms with Jesus that he is who he says he is. And not only does Jesus reassure John, he acknowledges John's worth and his value is based on more than just his current circumstance. 
and that there's something even greater awaiting him because the Messiah will raise the dead to life. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus kind of adds this in Isaiah chapter 61. This is not a part of the list that he originally quotes, quotes to John, but he tells John, hey, and also the evidence of the Messiah is the dead are going to be raised to life. And that's the second way that Jesus responds to John's doubt, is encouragement with the fact that there's always something greater ahead with God. Pay attention to the evidence. See, see how God has been moving all along the way and how there always is something better on the other side. And he said, at the end of all things, there is even something greater ahead. Uh, and that something better that will always overcome is the dead being raised. And this is what Jesus proclaims to John. And uh, to be honest, at this point in the story, that was enough for John. He's, he's good. He's like, you're right. I'm going to look at the evidence. I'm going to see what you've done. Uh, this is going to be reported back to me. You're, you're right. That's the assurance that I needed. And, and the message that, that God has for us is that things don't end with whatever happens here in this life. You're right. That, that's enough. Having that faith, that hope, that trust, that joy, that's enough. Uh, enough. And quite frankly, uh, it, it should be enough for us to approach life with faith and hope and expectant joy. But as the Messiah, Jesus does something even greater than that when it comes to life in the here and now. So we're not stuck with just saying, oh, you know, at some point it's, it's going to be better. Um, when you read back through Matthew chapter 11, especially that later section, Jesus says there's no one greater who's been born than John the baptizer. But he continues on. And he said, but even the least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John. Well, how can, that, how can that be? What's the difference and what's the switch? It's because post-Jesus resurrection, he's established the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is not just something that we're looking forward to at some point in the future after we die, but something that we're called to participate and live in in the here, in the here and now. And how could the least in the kingdom of heaven be greater than this man who's in Scripture as the person who's been picked by God to proclaim that Jesus is coming to everyone else. How could you and I be greater than him? Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 give us a clue. Paul writes, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. John was so great because of his proximity with Jesus, is that he was selected to be the one to tell everybody, hey, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is here. You and I are even greater um, because our proximity to God is even closer. Because as disciples of Jesus, God is with us. God indwells us. There, there's never a point in time in which we find ourselves in Maybe we feel alone. Maybe we feel like we're in solitary confinement with our despair and with our disappointment, our depression and doubt. And yet God, we're even greater in our relationship with God because he is always with us. We're, we're never alone with our doubts. We're never alone with our unmet expectations. We're never alone with our assumptions that maybe, not, maybe are not all those great, um, all those great as assumptions. Our proximity with God joins us with the power of Jesus over death itself. And that means no matter what kind of um, consequence that we're experiencing in a world that's broken by sin or as a result of our own sin in our lives, the, the consequences of death that uh, change and, and hurt our thinking, the way that we live in our relationships with other people, those things are never a final part of the story for us. 
because God is, is, is with us. And the closeness that we share in community with God means that we're never alone, that even when struck down, we won't be destroyed. Even when someone has locked us away and thrown away the key uh, and we are threatened with destruction, God has made a way where there, is, there seems to be no, no other way. And the difference for us is what we choose to focus on in that moment. Because there are plenty of times where my doubt has wanted all my attention. And I could choose, and the difference, the, the difference I have is I could choose to put all of my weight, all of the weight of my efforts and thinking and life into the doubt, or I can put it into the faith that, that sometimes only God can sustain within me. If I pay attention to the evidence, if I pay attention to the evidence of Jesus, and I live in the hope and joy and trust that there's always something greater ahead with God, in moments of doubt and despair, Jesus always ensures that life with him will always be dignified. I mean, this is what he does for John. Not only does he reassure John, but he tells everybody else, this is an amazing human being. And all of his efforts have been exactly the way that God has called him to live those things out. And he gives that greater encouragement. Despite John, we know the end of the story. Some, some of us do, I'll let you know. John is beheaded by Herod, Antipas, and Herodias. I, I already mentioned that earlier. And so you look at that, it's like, well, how, how, is that, how is that dignified? Well, look at how we talk about and read about and know about John now. Greatest ever to be born, pointing Jesus, pointing people to Jesus in his life because of how close he was to him. And by the way, Herod Antipas, he dies in, in ruin and exile at the end of his life. Who did God give dignity to in those moments? And yet, as disciples of Jesus, you and I are even closer we look through the Old Testament and we look through people, you know, in the Bible and we can look, man, look at how amazing and strong that faith was. And yet we have the indwelling presence of God. We talk with some of those people and, and we say, oh man, how incredible it was that you decided to move across countries and, and you walked through this Red Sea and you, you got on this boat with a bunch of animals. That was weird. Um, and, and you, you know, all these amazing things. You killed this giant and this incredible stuff. And I think the response would be, um, would be possibly, and I heard somebody say this once, and it has, it has stuck with me, um, that they would look at us when we have the interaction with them in heaven and think, yeah, but you had the presence of God in your life, like with you directly, everywhere you went, and in everything you did. Jesus, Jesus just has always been there for us as disciples. And as we're wrestling with those moments of disappointment and despair and depression and doubt, that's the thing that he wants to remind us of. Is that, hey, look, look, as you look through the timeline of your life, I've consistently shown up, and I will do that again. And I know it seems like this thing that you're stuck in right now is the most overwhelming, important, craziest thing that's going on in your life, but there is something better on the other side as we move through this together. Because Jesus won't leave you alone. You know, post his resurrection, Jesus continues to show up to his disciples. He shows up to the women who come and who are desperate, you know, and in despair, and, and, and ready to embalm him, and do all the things for, for burial, and he shows up. And Thomas is there, and he's unfairly called the doubting disciple. All of them were doubting, because they were all hiding. Um, and, and, and Jesus shows up, and he says, look, look, check it out. Like, here, here's what's going on. Jesus continues to do this in, in, his, um, in his life. In the midst of doubt, Jesus makes his presence known when we come to him. In the midst of doubt, Jesus shows up as we lean on one another. Jesus shows up as we serve with one another. Jesus shows up as we worship with one another. 
That, that's the way in which he continually shows that he's always there, that he always shows up, and there's something greater on the other side. Now, on the other side of doubt is a more deeply rooted and a more fully lived faith waiting for us. And the way we move through doubt is to focus on what we know to be true from Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you this week, if, if this is a week in which, or maybe this is a time period in your life where you have dealt with doubt, um, or you know someone who has, I, I just want to encourage you to either remember what you know to be true about Jesus and what you've seen him do in your life consistently. Um, and, and, if, and if it's not just for you to remember, if you know somebody who's struggling and wrestling with that doubt, is to share that thing that you know to be true and consistent about Jesus in your life. Because he's always with us, he never fails us, and he will always, always help us to move to something better ahead. Let's pray. God, there are um, plenty of times where life does not meet our expectation because um, we, we, we mess things up ourselves, other people mess it up for us, or we live in a world that, that is just it's broken because of sin. And God, when we, um, when we deal with our, our moods and emotions uh, around that, God, we, help, we ask that you help us to recall how you have consistently shown up in our lives and how things move through to something better on the other side when we trust you, when we live like you, when we pay attention to your presence in your life, in our life, all along the way. So God, we just um, we ask that you give us the, the strength and the wisdom to doubt our doubts, to not be directed by and focus solely on the questions that we have, but also the answers that you give. And God, we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.